For those of you that are used to being here, it's going to take me a little bit longer than normal to get to our text for today because I want to set up Own the Vision, which is our new sermon series, for a few minutes and talk about what it means to have a worldview and particularly what it means to have a biblical worldview. So Acts chapter 17, just keep your hand there. We will be there in just a few moments. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul writes to the church in Colossae. And he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Be sure that you are not being deceived, that you are not being held captive by man's thinking, by man's philosophies, rather than the truth of who Jesus Christ is. How many of you are active on social media? Anybody have an Instagram account or Facebook, any social media? All right. How many of you have ever been brave enough to post your opinion about a topic or your stance on a topic? Anybody ever put yourself out there? Yeah, how'd that go for you? Did that go well? Everybody just accepted your opinion, and those that didn't were very civil in their discourse as they... Okay, so those of you that aren't on social media, guys, I seem really, really loud and hot right now. Um, those of you that aren't on social media, um, have you ever had a conversation with someone where you took a position on a particular topic or a particular subject and the person you were talking to held a different view than you did? This typically happens, doesn't it? What typically happens when you state an opinion on any of the following subjects? I'm just going to list some subjects somewhat randomly, but you let me know if you've ever held a position and said, this is what I believe about same-sex marriage, about drug legalization, about euthanasia, about abortion, about genetic engineering of babies before they are born, about embryonic stem cell research. Have you ever held a position on gun control or capital punishment? Have you ever held a position on immigration, race relations, politics, or religion? Have you ever held one of those positions and found that somebody doesn't agree with your position? Of course we have. There are so many different opinions about all of those topics that it's almost mind-blowing. Why is it that people hold such varying views on such basic, fundamental, important topics? How is it that somebody can hold a view that is completely at odds with your view? and genuinely do so. Have you ever found that odd? That someone can genuinely hold a position that is completely opposite of your own. Their position is completely untenable to you, and yet they hold it, and yet they live by it. Where do these varying beliefs come from? And what is the result of so many people having varying beliefs? The varying beliefs come from varying worldviews. We all look at the world in different ways, and the results of those various worldviews is tension, conflict, and friction. 
Someone has described this as cultural plate tectonics. You might be familiar with the phrase plate tectonics. This is the science that says that the earth underneath is made up of different large plates, and these plates move and rub up against each other and cause friction, and underlying when these rub together, it is the source of our earthquakes. And someone has made the comparison to that to various worldviews to say, look, underneath we all have these different worldviews, and when they begin to rub against each other and collide and cause friction, therefore we have what happens on the surface, the tension and the conflict, the earthquake that takes place. So shifts in underlying worldviews is what causes the conflicts that we see within our world. But let's back up a step and define what a worldview is. What, what exactly is a worldview? It, it comes from a German word that literally means world outlook. It's a worldview. By definition, it means this. I'm going to put a lot of slides up here today, more than I typically do, so whoever is up there running the, the machine, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Um, Y'all are going to have to keep up a little bit. So here's a worldview. Number one, it's a person's most fundamental belief and assumption about the universe in which they live. A worldview is a basic fundamental assumption and belief about the world in which we live. A little simpler statement is this, one's way of understanding and explaining reality. A worldview is a person's understanding and explaining of reality. Thirdly, it is an explanation and an interpretation of the world that leads to an application of life. It is how someone understands the world, it is how someone interprets the things of the world, and then it leads to the application of how they live their life. Everyone, everyone operates under a worldview. Everyone does, either consciously or unconsciously. We all have a worldview. But where does this worldview come from? How does this worldview form? And how do I have a different worldview than someone else might have their worldview. Where do these form? Where do they come from? As you heard in the video, they begin with presuppositions. Worldviews begin with presuppositions, and a presupposition is a belief that is presumed to be true without supporting evidence. A presupposition is a belief that is believed to be true without supporting evidence, typically without supporting scientific evidence. For instance, one worldview says that there is a God who has created everything. But in order to understand that worldview, the presupposition is that there is a God. Now, we can look at the cosmos, we can look at the creation and say, obviously there's a God, but we can't prove that there is a God. Can we? There is a presupposition there. But the other side of that says, no, 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 no. My worldview is that there is not a God that there is no God, all right? So my argument to them would be, prove to me that there is no God. There are presuppositions that go into someone's worldview. For instance, I believe there's a God, someone else says there is no God. Another instance of this would be that history had a beginning point and is moving in a linear fashion towards a conclusion. That history had a starting point and it is moving towards some form of conclusion. That is a presupposition. The opposite view is not that history start, started here and is moving there, but that history is just a big circle. It's just a big cycle. 
everything happens and it just keeps happening and you die and you come back as something else and the plants die and they come back as something else and everything is just a big circle. But you can see just at the very beginning, if we start with different presuppositions where we're going to end up in different places. If I start with the presupposition that God exists, I'm going to end up somewhere different than somebody who starts with there is no God. And if I start with a presupposition that history has started somewhere and going somewhere, I'm going to end up in a different location than somebody who says, no, 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 history is just a big, big cycle. It's just a big circle. I'll unpack this a little bit more as we go forward. All right? So some questions that help us formalize our worldview. If I seem to be talking quicker than I normally do, it's because I've got a lot I want to tell you today, okay? <laughs> so um, buckle in and let's, let's go. So some questions that typically formalize one's worldview. As we figure out how do I interpret and understand the world, here are the questions that people need to answer. Number one, is there a God, and if so, what is he like? Is there a God, and what is he like? Number two, what is the nature and origin of the universe? I'm a human being. I know that I'm in this big, vast universe. My question is, where did it come from? How did it start? What's the nature of it? Is there a God? What's he like? What's the universe like? What is the nature and origin of man? I'm a human being. I know I'm here. I know I live amongst other species and animals. Am I like the other species? Am I like the other animals? Where did I come from? What is my nature? What is my origin? Number four, what, what happens when man dies? My worldview is going to formulate around this question. Who am I? What happens to me when I die? Number five, where does knowledge come from? I can think. I can reason. I can think and reason more than other animals that I see around me. Where does that knowledge come from? Where's the source of that knowledge? Number six, what's the basis of ethics and morality? We make choices all the time. We have laws. We have mores in our societies. What's the basis of those? Where did they come from? One worldview is going to say that they come from an all-knowing, all-powerful, creative God who has said, these are the rules that you go by. That's one worldview. Another worldview says there is no God, so the morality is just based on what society tells you it is. So where do our ethics and morals come from? And finally, where is history going? What's the meaning of history? What is the meaning of human history? Why are we here? Why do we exist? As people struggle with these questions to understand them and to interpret them, it formulates their worldview. And as they formulate their worldview, it formulates their beliefs. And as they formulate their beliefs, it formulates their values. And as it formulates their values, it formulates their actions. Worldview is highly important. How you view the world dictates how you act in the world. Three big questions. If you say, I didn't get all seven of those, Pastor. Here's three big thoughts that all worldviews typically revolve around. Three big thoughts. First one is this. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? What is the nature of life? Is it natural or is it divine? Did all of life happen out of natural causes and circumstances? Or was there a being who is outside of nature who acted within nature to create all things? So big picture, where did we come from? Second big picture. What's wrong with where we are? 
What's wrong with our world? How do we explain evil? How do we explain death? When you look at the world and you interpret, I know there's bad things that happen, where did that come from? I understand that death takes place every day, all the time. How do I explain death? So big picture, who are we? Where did we come from? What's wrong with our world? Number three, how do we fix it? We, we exist. It's messed up. How do we fix it? These are the three big pictures that all worldview hangs on. What is the solution to our broken world? You guys with me so far? All right, you all right so far? Good, good, good. So how you answer these questions provides your, your, your explanation and interpretation of the world and leads to application. Here's what that looks like. Your worldview is what you believe to be real, all right? So what is real? That's my worldview. My reality is my worldview. My worldview then leads to what I believe to be true. What is truth? This is belief, all right? So I have a worldview, and that worldview leads me to this is what I believe about the world. Make sense so far? What I believe about the world then leads to my values, what I say is important in this world. So how I understand the world leads to what I believe about the world leads to what I think is important in this world, which here's the final step, leads to what I do. Because what I believe is important is what I'm going to spend my time on. What I believe is important is what I'm going to spend my efforts on, right? So my worldview has a direct correlation with my actions, with my life. Because my worldview leads to my beliefs, my beliefs lead to my values, my values lead to my life. For instance, if I just walk back through this and say my worldview is that there is a God who is above creation, who created all things. God exists. Truth then for me comes from what that God who is above all things and created all things says is true, his revelation. Therefore, what is important is what the God who has revealed himself and his truth to me says is important. And what I live my life for is then for whatever he says is important. Right? Does that make sense? God revealed truth. What he says is important. That's what I live for. That's what I strive after. However, if I start with a worldview that says there is no God, then where do my beliefs come from? What is my truth? Where does truth come from? Well, truth at that point becomes relative. Your truth can be your truth, and my truth can be my truth, because there is no standard, right? So no God, relativism, truth, which means then what is important? Whatever I say is important. If I eliminate that there's a God, and I eliminate that there's a standard of truth, then whatever I say is important. And so how do I live? I live for now. I live for whatever I can get. I live for me. Worldview has a profound impact on how we live. Some common worldviews. Let me just unpack some common worldviews for you. This seems more like a lecture than a sermon, but hang with me, okay? Because I really, I got to lay this foundation because over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what a biblical worldview is, why we as believers should have a biblical worldview, but we need to compare and contrast that with the people that we interact with on a daily basis who do not have a biblical worldview. 
and how we can interact with them and share the gospel with them, the truth with them as they look at the world from completely different, through completely different lenses than we do. So some common worldviews. This is not an exhaustive list. Um, it's not intended to be. It's just going to give you a feel for different worldviews. Some people clarify them or classify them a little bit differently than these. But let me just give you some big worldviews. The first one is the one you're probably most familiar with. It's called theism. All right? Theism, particularly monotheism. Mono meaning? Mono meaning? One. Good. Okay. Just making sure I hadn't put you to sleep yet. All right. So mono meaning one. Theos is the word, Greek word for God. So this is one God. Monotheism. So a worldview that says there is one God. God. The reality is that there is one God who created the universe. God is transcendent. He is above that creation, yet personable and knowable, and God is active in his creation. There's a spinoff of this called deism, which says that there is a God who created the universe. He's above that universe, but he has separated himself from that creation and has no action within it, okay? But I want you to focus on Theism, particularly monotheism, that there is one God who has created all. What does this then think about man? Um, do you all have that one? Theism, man, the next slide. There we go. Man is the pinnacle of God's creative work, created in the likeness and image of God. Man is sinful and needs to be made right with his creator. So this worldview says that there is a God and God created all things, and at the pinnacle of that creation is man. But man has fallen in his relationship with God. Then, truth for this one. Next slide for me. Truth. God has revealed himself to man in nature through general revelation. Stars, moon, planet. We see that and say, hey, God is bigger than us. He must have revealed himself that way. But also in specific revelation. Through um, the written word. Through a sacred text of some form. Right? And God has established a set of moral rules that man is to live by and will be judged by. So God created, God created man, God gave man rules. With me? All right, so the next step then is values. What is value in theism? Value is God's kingdom above all else. What is important in God's economy is his kingdom, which leads to this. What are some examples? The three largest religions in the world, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, are all monotheistic worldviews. Now, we share, Judaism and Christianity share the same God. Islam serves a different God, but it's still one God. Judaism and Christianity share some sacred text. Islam has their own separate text. But these three world religions all carry this concept of a worldview, theism. If you think about movies, think about the movie The Ten Commandments, okay? God, creator, set of laws, all right? So that's theism. Let's talk about the opposite of theism. What would be the opposite of theism? Atheism, all right? So if you put the word a in front of a word, it negates the word. So atheism, there is no God, which also can be referred to as naturalism. So here is the reality. The material universe is all that exists. There is no such thing as divine, the soul, or the spirit. Everything can be explained by natural laws. So there is no God, there is no spirit, there is no soul, everything is just material. With me? Man, then, is just the chance product of biological processes of, of evolution entirely material in nature. Man is a bunch of chemicals that somehow got together. 
right? So then the next step is this, truth, only that which can be understood by scientific proof is real. If you can't show it to me scientifically, if you can't do it over and over again, it's not real. This is a worldview. I'm not making these up. I need you to understand that this is how people view the world. Which leads then to values. Values and naturalism is that no objective values or morals exist. Why not? Because there's no standard. There's no set rule. There are no values. There are no, there are no set morals within this, right? So um, examples, obviously, those that would consider them atheists, that they don't believe in a God, I would clump agnostics in here. Agnostic means uh, I don't know if I believe that there's a God or not, but most agnostics typically act as if there is not a God. And something that you've probably heard of is secular humanism. Secular as opposed to sacred, human as opposed to divine. That everything in the world can be understood through a human lens, secular humanism. Some examples of this, um, Planet of the Apes, remember that movie series? Some of us that are old remember the old movie series, some of you that are young remember the Mark Wahlberg version of it, but nevertheless, the apes are taken over and they're running the whole thing, right? Um, Or if you saw the movie The Theory of Everything with Stephen Hawking, um, that everything comes together in this materialistic world. Pantheism, let's talk about pantheism. Pantheism, it's a third world uh, worldview. Only the spiritual dimension exists. All else is an illusion. So this is kind of the opposite. One view said that only the material exists. This view says that only the spiritual exists. That spiritual reality is impersonable and unknowable. Divinity and reality are inseparable, and God is the totality of all reality. This view says that God is everything, and everything is God. That I'm part of God, you're part of God, the bench is part of God, the trees are part of God, the flowers are part of God. It's all spiritual, and it all, when you talk about the divine, you cannot separate the divine from the material. The material is the divine. It all goes together. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I don't believe it. I'm just telling you what it is. Therefore, man is this. Man is the one with the ultimate reality, one with the ultimate reality. Man is part of the divinity. Man is spiritual, eternal, and impersonal. The spirit is imprisoned in a body that is not real at all. All are divine by nature along with the rest of nature. Everything is divine. It all goes back, all right? So then truth becomes this, an experience of unity or oneness with the universe. So somebody that would hold to pantheism says the greatest goal is to become one with the universe. You might have heard that phrase probably used at some point. So when I die, my goal is to do away with this body, which isn't real, and just be enveloped into the oneness of the universe, which leads then to this understanding. There is no distinction between good or evil because everything makes up the divine. A pantheist would not say there is bad in the world, there is evil in the world, there is good in the world. It's all an illusion anyway. Right? So what are some examples of pantheism? Hinduism. Buddhism. These are examples of pantheism. Um, We have a church that sits right across the street from our church, has been there for years, called the Church of Christ Science. They do not believe 
that the body is real, that illness is real, everything is spiritual, there is no physical. They would be, they probably wouldn't define themselves this way, but they would fall in this worldview of pantheism. Um, movies, again, think of Star Wars. Use the force, Luke, the force. Everything is part of the force. The good, the evil, it all works together for the force. For you Disney lovers that have been putting your kids in front of Disney movies all the time, myself included, be careful. Um, the Lion King teaches the circle of life. It all kind of goes together into one big thing. So you think I'm crazy, but as I list some of these movies, you're going to go, that's exactly what it teaches. That's exactly what it teaches. Let's talk about this one, spiritualism or polytheism. Poly means multiple, so this means there are multiple gods. Spiritualism says that the reality is that the world is populated by spirit beings who govern what is going on. So there are different spirit beings, a plethora of spirit beings. Man, then, is simply this. Man is a creation of the gods, often with a special relationship between a particular group of people and a particular god. All right? So this is why we see this group of people worship this god, this group of people worship this god, this tribe worships this god, this tribe might worship a whole bunch of gods, our family worships this god. It's a plethora of gods, and man is created by these gods, which leads to this... Truth is discovered through a shaman figure who has visions telling them what the gods and demons are doing and feeling. So this is some kind of mediator that has a direct connection with these gods, and they tell the people, man, you just, you ticked your god off. That's why the volcano's rumbling. That's why the earthquake came, right? So there's a shaman figure that did this. So the next step then would be this. What are the values? The values are whatever your god tells you they are. You have ever heard of a taboo? A taboo is whatever irritates your particular God. Don't do that because it'll make your God mad, okay? Polytheism, spiritualism, examples, Greek and Roman mythology. How many gods do the Greeks and the Romans have back in the day? You ever had to take a class on that? College students, you ever have to take a class on Roman mythology or Greek mythology? So many gods all over the place. But we don't have to go all the way back to ancient history. We can go now. There are tribal religions that still exist today that have a particular god. And I would throw this in. Ancestor worship is huge in some parts of the world where people worship their own ancestors. Um, two movies, Mulan. Anybody watch Mulan? They're making a remake of Mulan, I believe, coming up. Ancestor worship. Um, my boys watched Hercules, the, the, the um, comic, the, what was it, the, the, what? Anyway, cartoon movie, whatever it was, yeah. It was a long time ago. Okay, so you get an idea of this. Last one, and then I want to move on, all right? Last one, postmodernism. This is, this is overwhelming our nation, overwhelming our people today, this concept of postmodernism. Reality is that it has to be interpreted through a language and cultural paradigm. In other words, reality is different in your culture than it is in my culture and it is in this culture. It is based on the example of the culture. That's what reality is. And reality is socially constructed. So reality is whatever your society tells you it is. There is no grand theory. There is no big meta-narrative. History is not moving towards anything big. It's not all tied together. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And it's all based on what our society tells us. This is postmodernism, which tells us then that man, 
is just a node in a cultural reality. They're a product of their social setting, and people are neither autonomous nor free. So we are whatever our society tells us we are. Which leads to this. Truth doesn't exist. Because truth in your society is going to be different than truth in my society. There is no absolute truth. Because society dictates what truth is. Which leads then to values. Your values are going to be relative to what your society tells you. But there are some universal truths for postmodernism. They all accept this concept of tolerance. They all talk about freedom of expression and inclusion and refusal to claim truth answers from any other source. So postmoderns, while they say that individuals aren't individuals, they, they express freedom of expression. They say that everyone should be tolerated unless, of course, you hold to a position that says this is truth. And if you hold to a position that says this is truth, you're not to be tolerated. Biblical world view. These are world views. These are how people view the world. I'm not here to pick on them. I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm just simply here to say, start thinking a little bit about how other people that you interact with on a daily basis view the world, the lens through which they see the world. And then understand this, God has called upon us to have a biblical worldview. That he has called upon us to look at the world through his revelation of himself to us. The Bible is the source of truth. It is the foundation of how we understand, interpret, and apply life. Let me give you a couple awesome quotes that I, that I found a couple weeks ago. Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, says this, An individual with a biblical worldview looks at the world and sifts all information through the lens of God's word. Scripture influences his thinking and behavior, guiding his intellect and moral determinations. The Bible is the bedrock that undergirds his entire life. So God has called upon those who understand him to be our God and our creator to look at life through his revelation. It should be the foundation upon which we live. It should be the lens through which we interpret everything. It should help us to understand what we're looking at. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun, S-U-N, has risen, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Stop and think through that for a second. I believe in Christianity as much as I believe the sun has risen, not because I see the sun, but because when the sun rises, I see everything else. So when I look at the Bible, I understand what? Everything else. Biblical worldview. So, do all professing Christians live with a biblical worldview? Do all filter everything through the Bible for their understanding and for their life? Unfortunately, tragically, I would say no. All people that are professing Christians do not filter everything through the Bible. In fact, I believe that I'm willing to state that most, the vast majority of professing believers, do not live through a biblical worldview. They certainly don't do so consistently or intentionally. And that's our problem. So why don't Christians hold to a biblical worldview? Why don't we consistently and intentionally go by what God's word says? 
I think it's because of ignorance of the Bible. One reason we don't live by a worldview is because we don't know what the thing says. We don't spend time reading it. We don't spend time getting to understand it. We don't let God speak to us. So how can we look at the world through a biblical worldview if we don't know what the Bible says? Ignorance of the Bible. Sometimes we know what it says, but we don't like what it says. And so we reject the Bible's truth. I know this is what God says, but sometimes we know what it says, we're just unwilling to take a stand for it. And I'm not willing to take the ridicule. I'm not willing to take the criticism. I'm not willing to take somebody accosting me because I'm holding a position that I understand is foundational and biblical. I'm just not going to take the flack for it. And so we cower down and we back down. And we're swayed by circumstances and we doubt God's promises. All right. I'm reevaluating where I am, where I want to take you guys, because I did tell you to turn to Acts chapter 17, didn't I? I want you to see in the minutes we have left this morning, just very quickly, I want you to see um, a demonstration from Scripture of how people live with varying worldviews and how someone who holds a biblical worldview interacts with those worldviews and how they treat them and how they present the truth. So Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, the setting is Paul's second missionary journey. Now while Paul was waiting for uh, Silas and Timothy at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be proclaiming a strange deity because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Oropagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For we are bring you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing more than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in every respect. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this is what I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have, have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness." 
through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. All right, real quick, I just want to walk back through this. Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's left um, Paul and or Silas and Timothy back in Thessalonica. His second missionary journey, he goes into Greece. He has great success in Greece, but he also faces great opposition to the point where he's beaten and, and jailed, and he has to flee these towns, and he goes to Athens. And while he's waiting in Athens for his rest of his companions to come join him, he observes some things. Paul walks around the city of Athens and he recognizes everywhere he turns, he sees another idol. He sees a building dedicated to another god. He sees uh, idols everywhere. The city was inundated with idols. It was said at the time that it was easier to find a, ma- a god in Athens than it was to find a man in Athens. They had gods for everything. The Athens, uh, they worshiped a plethora of gods. They worshiped so many and they didn't want to make them mad that they had an altar set up with the inscription on it, to an unknown God. Their thought was, if we've missed a God, we don't want to tick you off. So if that God shows up, we can say, we didn't know about you, but we got an altar ready for you right here. Right? So this is what he's observed. He's observed a culture that is crying out to worship something, but they don't know what to worship. Now his response to that, verse 16, is that his spirit was provoked within him. He sees idol worship. He sees worship that rightly belongs to God only being given to others, and he is provoked. The word means to become angry. It means to become infuriated. He sees people, men and women, boys and girls, who if something isn't done is going to, are going to spend eternity in a Christless eternity because they are worshiping the gods of this world. And his response to that is he's provoked to anger. He's not angry at the people. He's angry that they're being deceived. And he's provoked to do something about it. So he went. Paul went to two places. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. This was always his practice. Whatever city he went into, if it had a synagogue, he went there. Because that's where the Jewish religious people were. And that's where the God-fearing Gentiles were. This was where people who were like-minded like him, who believed in one God, had a similar worldview. They were there striving to seek after God. And when he went there, he went to reason with them from a similar worldview. But he didn't just stop on the Sabbath. It says the rest of the week, where did he go? He went to the marketplace. He said, it's not enough that I just go to church on Sunday. I can't just reach the people that are in the building on Sunday. This whole city is lost. I have to go engage the people where they are. So he went to the marketplace, the hub of Athenian life, the daily commerce, the daily dialogue, and whoever happened to be there, Paul struck up a conversation with them. He spoke with them about their worldview. He spoke with them about what was going on. There's two specific groups that are mentioned that are here in Athens. Athens was renowned for philosophy. It was renowned for wisdom. You can think of the names Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, those names probably all ring a bell, all made Athens their home. This was the place where people humanly thought and tried to explain the origins of the world. Is there a God? Isn't there a God? What's the meaning of life? They thought through all of these things. Two particular groups were here, the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans were materialists. They believed that the body and the soul were both made of a fine matter that dissolved at death. 
They simply believed as deists that, that the gods who had created man were indifferent to what was going on in man's life. They thought that this life is all we have. Gods don't care about it. Their greatest good in life was the avoidance of pain and the seeking of pleasure. Their statement would have been, you only live once, so make it feel good. Do what feels good. You only got one shot at it. These were the Epicureans. The Stoics, on the other hand, were pantheists. They believed that the divine principle was immersed in all of nature, that everything in the universe was bound together by this divine principle. The world was just stumbling around by fate. They rejected the idea that history was heading anywhere in particular. It was just a big cycle. And their greatest good in life was self-mastery. It was to become indifferent to pleasure or to pain. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. This is, the, this is the comment of the Stoics. This is how they lived. Whatever will be, will be. So one of these groups says, if it feels good, do it because there are no eternal consequences. The other group says, grin and bear it because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. This is how they approach life. Both worldviews, by the way, very hopeless and very meaningless. And Paul gets to speak into their lives. As a matter of fact, they become intrigued by what he's saying, and they invite him to go to the Oropagus, which was the place where up on Mars Hill, overlooking the city, where all the philosophers went to philosophy. I think I just coined a word, but it's okay. We're going we're gonna to go with it. So, here's, he's observed, he's responded, he went. Look what Paul says. To the religious, verse 17, to those who had a similar worldview, in verse 17 it says he reasoned from the scriptures. These people in that setting had the same worldview that Paul did. There's one God who created all things. He's created man. He's given man a set of laws. Man has fallen as a result of that. There will be judgment that comes as a result of that. Um, and he could start with that with them. And he reasoned from their scriptures. But notice when he went to the marketplace and when he went to the Oropagus, he had to start from a very different place. He didn't start in Scripture, although he took them to Scripture. He didn't start there. He had to begin in a different place because they had a different lens. They had a different way of understanding the world. They had a different presupposition about the world. If he'd have just said, here's what the Bible says, they would have said, who cares? What's the Bible to me? It means nothing to me. So he had to start in a very different place. I'm almost done. Are you guys? Some of you finished about 10 minutes ago, but some of you are still with me. I'm almost done. He had to start at a very different place. Here's where he started. He started with a connection point. He said, we have something in, connected, in, in connection. Verse 22, I see that you are very religious people. As I walked around the city, I noticed you're trying to worship a God. You're very religious people. Verse 24, oh, by the way, there is a God who has created everything. We can agree that there is God, because clearly you guys understand that there's a God. Verse 26 and 27, we are all created by that same God. All of us who all exist all came from one God who created one man. All the people of the world came from that God. And he says, oh, by the way, verse 20, 28, your own poets say this. See, he doesn't go to Scripture and he says this is truth. He says, let's look at creation and start there. We can all agree that there is a creation. This creation is bigger than us. Something created this creation. You guys clearly are worshipful people. Let me introduce you to the God who created this. 
We're all created by a God, and we all come from the same God. Um, your own poets say that. But then he moves from connection to a conflict because he throws this at him in verse 23. He says, what you worship in ignorance, let me explain to you. Now, I don't know about you, but being called ignorant is probably not the most flattering thing you've ever been called in your life, although it's not a negative term. Ignorance doesn't mean you're stupid. Ignorance means you haven't been informed. And he's saying, you guys are worshiping all kinds of God. You've got a, a, an altar here to an unknown God. Let me introduce you to your unknown God. You're worshiping in ignorance. You don't believe in the right God. You worship gods that are made by human hands. He said, you guys are philosophers. Think through this. this. Does this make any sense at all? That there is a God who created everything, and yet he lives in temples made by your hands? He's confined to these little idols made by you? That this God who created everything and made all men from one man, that he needs anything from mankind? He said, just stop and think about that logically for a minute. There is a conflict with what you claim to be trying to do and what you're actually doing. He moves from a connection to a conflict, and then I close with this. He moves to Christ. Verse 24, this God that you need to know is a creator. Verse 26, he is ruler over all things. Verse 27, he is knowable. You guys are groping around as if you can't find him, but I promise you, he's really close by. He is knowable. He is our father, verses 28 and verses 29. Verse 30, all of history is heading to a conclusion where we will be judged. But God will do so righteously, and he will do so through someone who came and died and rose again. Verse 31, our rescuer, Jesus Christ. Now, what I just walked through in 30 seconds is a biblical worldview that I'm going to unpack over the next several weeks together. So that as you have conversations with people who come at life from a different worldview, maybe you can have the artillery, you can have the, the, the courage, you can have the material you need to say, let me walk you through why I believe what I believe. Even if you start with different, different presuppositions with someone else. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the empty elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. And I pray that you will make it a priority in your life, in your family's life, to be a part of corporate worship every Sunday, but particularly over the next three months. Because over the next three months, as we conclude this year together, we're going to walk through this concept of what a biblical worldview is. Next Sunday, we're going to start before the very beginning. In the beginning, God. We're going to start with God. Who is he? We don't have to get very far in the Bible to have a develop a biblical worldview. In the beginning, God created. Look, if you don't believe the first chapter of the Bible, you ain't going to re believe the rest of it. So let's start there. So we're going to start with who God is. Then we're going to move to Revelation because God has revealed himself. We'll talk about creation. We'll talk about the fall. We'll talk about the redemption of God. We'll talk about the kingdom of God. We'll talk about the restoration of God. And then as we come to a conclusion, we'll talk about how we can interact with subjects such as identity issues, gender issues, abortion, race, politics, all from a biblical worldview. Now here's what I want you to see as we close. The title for our sermon series is Own the Vision. Meaning, you need to understand what a biblical worldview, and as a Christ follower, you need to own it. You need to live by it, because that's what God called us Amen. to do. Amen. This is what we see Paul 
showing us in this chapter. He observed the world around him and he saw lost people who were worshiping false gods, who were following false worldviews. He observed it all around him. And his response to that was he was provoked. It infuriated him that people were dying and going to hell. And he wasn't mad at people. He was mad that glory was being taken away from his father. And so he went. He didn't just go to church. He went to the marketplace. And when he went, he had conversations. He talked to people. And those that had a similar worldview, he used the scriptures. And those that had a different worldview, he started with a connection point. And then he showed them the conflict with their beliefs. And then he, dealt the, he introduced them to Christ. The response of the people... Look at how they respond, and I, I promise you, I'm done right here. You said that five minutes ago, Pastor. I know, but I, I mean it. Look, I'm done. Last page is blank, all right? <laughs> Verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others. Others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Man, we're supposed to live a biblical worldview, and when we do, there are going to be people that sneer and mock and make fun of us. And you know what? Okay. Because there are going to be other people that hear it, and they're going to go, I, need to learn, I, I want to learn more about that. And then there are going to be some who, because of your testimony, because of you living your life in Christ before them, they will come to trust in Christ. Our memory verse for this morning? Anybody remember it? Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the one true God and that you're a God who loves us and has redeemed us and is coming again for us. Father, as we strive to live in this world, a world that is filled with conflict. Everywhere we turn, you, you almost can't even state an opinion without somebody getting in your face anymore. Father, we live in a world that is conflicting, nations conflicting with nations, religion conflicting with religion, race conflicting with race. There's tension everywhere. And it's because we all look at the world through different lenses. But Father, help us to understand that there is one true lens in which to look through the world, and that is your truth. And you've given it to us, you've revealed it to us, and so, Father, help us to not only know it, but to embrace it, to live it, to own it, so that we can go out and let others see our good works so that they might glorify you. Father, I thank you for the folks that are here today. I thank you for this church who would settle for nothing less than teaching your word. Father, I thank you for their attentiveness today to listen to a, a heady topic. But I pray, Lord, that they see the value in it, I pray, Lord, that as a church we would embrace this concept of owning a biblical worldview and living it in this community, living it in this world. Father, I pray for them this week that as they go from this place where they've been in a, a room filled with people who share a similar worldview and they go out into the community where they are going to be surrounded by people who don't share that worldview, that, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to those around us to see how they're being deceived and led away by philosophies of men, empty, 
philosophies, that they're being led to worship a plethora of gods or even to worship themselves. And Father, I pray that you would break our hearts. I pray that our spirits would be broken and provoked within us, not to be angry with the people, but to be broken over their lostness, to be broken over the fact that they're being deceived and that glory that belongs to you is going somewhere else. So Father, provoke our spirits this week to the point where we act, to the point where we go, to the point where we engage people in conversation. We don't aim to start conflict, we aim to start conversation. And so Father, provoke us to have those conversations. And Lord, we understand that some people will mock, some people might want to hear more, and God, we praise you that as a result of our faithful testimony, some will come to trust in you. Father, I love you. I thank you for loving us. Father, I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, that we would represent you well, that we would own your vision for us and that we would share it. Lord, be glorified in your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Invitation is just a little bit different this morning. If you don't know this personal God that I've been talking about all day, I'd love the chance to talk to you some more about it. And here's what I want to do. If you want to talk some more about God or a relationship with him, in that worship folder is my email, bob at fbctampa.org. If you can't remember it, it's printed for you. Email me. I'd love to get together with you. If I can't, I will, I'll, I'll hook you up with somebody else who can. But I want to talk to you some more about it. I just want us to go out as we sing today, okay? We're going to sing and we're going to go. Because I feel like I just opened up the fire hydrant and just let it go at you today. But I pray you see the, the benefit in this. And so I encourage you to be here over the next several weeks. Um, two things real quick. Guest, stop by the guest reception. Love to meet you on your way out the door. Um, first steps is tonight. Come and be a part of that if you want to sign up for that. And then one other thing, many of you have asked how we as a church can support the um, rescue and recovery mission in the Bahamas. Um, and through our Southern Baptist Convention has one of the largest um, disaster relief organizations in the world. And so we're going to be supporting disaster relief through the Southern Baptist Convention. They have a website that you can go to called Go um, Baptist Global Response. So G-O- bgr.org gobgr.org if you want to give to an organization that you know the money's actually going to go to help people in the Bahamas you can trust that organization you can go there and check it out gobgr.org okay appreciate that hey you guys ready to go out let's go get them all right love you guys have a great week <laughs>